we've been talking about in a series on living new. We've been talking about thinking new. That uh, uh, the, the, the battle of life is fought right here. This is where it's fought. This is where it takes place. And, and uh, we're going to go to Romans 8 and, and see a couple things from there. But I want to ask you a question, kind of prime the pump here. Um, when life is going along well, we can manage it. But when life goes along tough and even destructive, that's when it seems like we get pushed. Um, how do you handle life when life gets pushed? Like, for instance, what if you have an unexpected life bomb dropped on you? That's in a good thing. That's a good thing. Like, like for instance, uh, Moses at the burning bush. Hey, Mo, I got a different plan for you. Uh, what about with uh, um, Jonah? Hey, Jonah, go to the Ninevites, the people you do not like. Uh, David, hey, uh, the Lord wants you to be king. I'm just a shepherd boy, man. Or, or here's one. Mary, you're going to give birth to the Messiah. Well, that's kind of got some problems with it. And how and Why? Talking about a life bomb, all of those are really wonderful things that have been dropped on, but they are life course changes, right? Okay, let's talk about not just life course changes. Let's talk about when things are devastating. Like, like I think of a Babylonian king, or I'm sorry, I think of Job at the death of his family, his kids, his empire, uh, everything that's going on with him. I think the disciples at the foot of the cross, when they're like, oh my word, what, what is going on here when their Savior is hanging on the cross? Let me just ask you, what about when life dreams get shattered? Or what if it's financial ruin? I'm not talking financial hardship. I'm talking utter financial ruin. Or what about you learn you have terminal cancer? Or what about you have death in your home? And those are devastating moments when there can be kind of the outside, the good devastating, kind of good bombs dropped and then the hard bombs dropped. But then even there's times where other people's decisions impact you in your life. You know, that's where I think of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He comes in, takes over the Daniel's homeland, and then he takes Daniel and his buddies and he takes them as war captives. Like, what did they have to say in any of that? Nothing. I think along with that, um, uh, the, the whole uh, parents, your child makes decisions that you're like, wow. Or kids, your parents make decisions that you're like, whoa. Higher ups make decisions. Or what about if a pastor <laughs> unexpectedly <laughs> retires? All of these are where the battleground happens in the mind. Why, 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 do I, why am I coming at this? We're talking about living new, Doug. Can't we just get to the mechanics of it? Listen, if we don't understand that life happens right here, biblically, the scriptures talk about it happens in the mind. We saw that in Romans 12. Be a transformed in your mind. 
And we see in the scriptures, it talks about the heart. The heart uh, back in that day is like the centers. It's the bowels. It's the, the, the control place. It's the same thing as the mind. It's where life happens. Everything takes place out of that. And it's out of that place where, where life then happens. And, and here is the place that we're working at. If you want to live new in Christ and for Christ, it has to be happening here. The wheels have to be observed. And, and I have noticed in my life at times, and I I've noticed in other people's life at times, we don't think, we just do, we just go. And yet I will tell you, I have been the last couple months in this like mind war going on, even with what I was talking about earlier today. And even this morning with it, oh man, I fell apart in the first service. And it's just like, what's going on in me? What, 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 and and it's, why do I fear what people think? Well, what am I, there's, the battle is all taking place right here in the mind with things. And we saw that last Sunday. And let me, let me summarize last Sunday this way in a statement uh, with a little bit of Indy 500 tossed in it. A transforming mind is the engine of a transforming life. A transforming mind is the engine of a transforming life. Listen, it's the engine. Take the engine out or make the engine so it doesn't work, and that's called a museum piece. But the car with the engine in, we're ready to go. Because it's out of the engine that everything happens. You may say, well, it's got to have wheels. I know, but if it doesn't have an engine, you, the wheels don't even matter. And this is the place, it is the engine. And in Romans 8, we're gonna see here in just a second, there is, first point, there is groaning all around. And, and by the way, we're not talking about whining, we're not talking about moaning and complaining because that is unbiblical. But we're talking about the noise of the work of it. We're gonna see this in the text here. And so let me correlate to the Indy 500. There are engines in those cars. And you know that they are getting ready to roll when? When you hear them, well, groan. When you hear them have that noise to them. It's like, don't give, I'm sorry, this doesn't sound uh, very politically correct nowadays, but don't give me an electric car race. <laughs> I want the full noise, right? And you're in there and it's like, and all. okay, you got the picture. I just want for us to know this, that transforming minds is the engine. It is the, there, and there is a groaning in it. There is a work in it. Let's see it in the text. Romans 8, verse, starting in verse 18. Uh, Paul says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We've talked about uh, looking back, looking ahead here. Looking ahead matters for today. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. I don't have time to dig into it. Uh, verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom from the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been what? groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Hey, when sin entered the picture, the earth began groaning all together. Ah, whatever the noise is. 
There is this sense of the earth is groaning because there is even death with animals, death that is experienced in nature because of sin that has come in. And it bears the reality of that, and it has this groaning element to it. And then verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions and sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. Oh, isn't it sometimes like, oh, Lord, just come. Can you just take this all now? Just like, I, I, I don't have to wait to march to retire. Just like, let's retire to heaven now. You just groan for that at times. Look at the brokenness and the masses that are going on and the hurt and the agony and the pain of life. And there's a groaning that happens even inwardly with it as we struggle and other people struggle. The earth, the creation is groaning. We are groaning inwardly. I'll go to verse 24. For in this uh, hope we were saved. Not hope that is seen uh, is not hope for who hopes and what is seen. But if we hope for what we have not seen, we wait for it with patience. I don't have the time. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. How cool is that? For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. You know, the Lord's at times when we're praying for things, he's like, oh, bless your hearts. You, you guys, oh, bless your heart. And, and the look, but the Spirit himself intercedes. Oh, by the way, the Lord Jesus intercedes the Spirit intercedes. Hey, friends, if you know Christ as your Savior, you got two of the Trinity interceding in your life. Oh, by the way, those two are interceding before the third. There's full engagement of the Trinity in, in, in our lives and what is taking place. And the Spirit himself intercedes uh, for us with groanings too deep for words. Again, it's not complaining. It's not whining. It's just like there is a thing created by God, placed by God, broken by choice. Sin came in and it's like, oh, creation feels the weight of it. We feel the weight of it. The spirit understands the weight of it. And there is groaning. Doug, why are you bringing us so down in all this? Because oftentimes what happens when we begin talking about what it looks like to live new in Christ, it comes across at times like we're just to become machines. Here's a verse, now go do it. Or here's the truth, now just make it happen. But I'm in agony. Well, just, we don't live by feelings, we live by faith. Okay, okay I understand that. But one of the things that is going on here is God has created us a people of emotion. God has created us as people who can groan. And by the way, God himself groans in it all. Creation groans in it all. And life is hard. Life is hard. This side of heaven. And the fact that life is hard for you is it is hard for me you just need to know this. It's hard for all of us. And we're groaning in it. Not whining, complaining, that's unbiblical. But we're groaning in it and creation's like, oh Lord, just come back. And the Spirit of God is like, oh man, I, one day, one day. I just want for you to know before we get to this, this next couple verses that, that life is not about living like a machine for the Lord. 
We bring it all to the Lord. And the battle is here. And friends, if we don't understand where the battle is, we will never be able to fight the war. You have to know where the battles take place to be able to have any kind of victory in the war of it. And it's all in our mind and how we think. By the way, the whole text is helping us to think. And then we come to verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. I've heard this text talked on and quoted and posted at times. And, and uh, well, let's just work through it here a little bit. And we know, not, not, not willy-nilly, golly gee, I sure hope this will happen. But we know it's a cognitive, clarified, no knowledge. It's, I know this. And it doesn't matter what comes my way, I know something. It is a truth. It is a fact. There is something to know. We know that all things, all things, by the way, it's talking about the activities of all things. If I understand the word all correctly, that means what? All that means the wonderful moments and the beautiful moments and the special moments and, and the awkward moments and the hard moments. Oh, by the way, am I correct that even the devastating moments are part of all? Yeah, they are. And we know that all things work together. Oh, spend some time on that. Spend some time on that this week. Because uh, sometimes we can come out of this text and we think every little thing is, is, is will come to the good. And it is, but there's a working, there's an intersecting, there's an there's a interaction, there's an integrating of all things of life work together for good. We have a tendency just to make life these little unconnected moments. But the fact of the matter is God is working through all of the moments of life and they intersect and connect together. And we know that all things work together for good good. We're not told in verse 28 what the good is yet. And be careful that we don't define what it is. But I have a question before we go to verse 29 to define what it is. Even if there wasn't verse 29 to tell us what it is, is the fact that God has said, we know that all things work together for good, however God meant the good, are we okay with believing that? I'm very serious about that. Are we okay with understanding just the fact that God says that it all works together for good, even if I don't even know how that all comes together? Is that enough for me? Is that enough for you to be able to trust God knowing that it all works for good when actually it all seems like it's insanity? Isn't it interesting? how when we come along through life, we just have this way of kind of leaning into the Lord and wanting to put ourselves right on the throne seat with him and go, actually, I got some problems with how you're doing this. In fact, can I lean into you, Lord, and maybe point some things out that you're missing? But we do it, don't we? And we know that all things work together for good. And I love the fact 
that the Lord in his goodness and his kindness tells us what the good is. Because friend, it's not how we define it. See, because we would define it as comfortable. What is easy? What is bunnies and sparkles? You know, that's how we would define it. That's not how God defines it. Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. There's a fun conversation. To be conformed to the image of his son. That's it. That's what the good is. That's what the good is. The good isn't that God is using this in a moment to make my life more comfortable. The Lord is using all of life, working together, that God would mature us in him so that we would know what it is to live new in him. Colossians 2, 6, and 7, as we talked before, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. And know this, the Lord is at that. He is doing that. He is organizing, working life in such a way that God is wanting to see us conformed to be more like Christ. But I don't like what he's doing. I know sometimes I don't either. And that's the straight up truth about it. I don't like what's, but do you see how the war is right here? I don't like what God's doing. I, but wait a second. What, what, what does scripture have to say? God says that he's conforming me. And this is where the battlefield is. That's my whole point today. And we see in this text, we know that all things work together for good, and that good is that we'd be conformed into the image of Christ, that we would be made more like Jesus. Friends, God is not interested in pampering you. God is interested in perfecting you. God is not interested in just making this life casual and wonderful. And I got to tell you, that's why a fire in me just gets so angry when I see the gospel proclaimed in the kind of a way where it's like, come to Jesus and you'll get everything you want. That is heresy and a lie. Because the scriptures say, come to Jesus and expect to be pushed. Now have an altar call. You want to come to Jesus and suffer? You want to come to Jesus and have the Lord uh, push into us to try and uh, get us out of our immaturity, out of our self-centeredness, out of our way of this is how life should be. Therefore, I demand life to be that way. And if it doesn't happen that way, I will punish you. I will judge you. you. And the Lord's like, I'm not interested in pampering you. I'm interested in maturing you in Christ. And all of life comes through my hands in such a way that I'm seeking to have that happen. But Doug, I don't like what's happening. I know, brother. I know, sister. I thought I'd have a few more years doing that. There's groaning all around but there is a purpose to life. And that is that we would live increasingly more like Jesus. Hey, Doug, for this week, can you give me a few examples I can dig into? Man, I'm so glad you asked. I have four of them. Dig into these this week. The first one, you can just write them down. I'll, I'll, I'll make mention of them. I'll, I'll set the stage for you. The first one is Habakkuk 3. I'm sure you were there this week. Habakkuk 3, at the end of the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is like five books before the New Testament. Uh, Habakkuk says this. He's thinking. 
though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit beyond the vines, though the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Friends, for a farmer in an agricultural community, that right there is absolute life devastation. That's if the wheels fall off everything, we have no food, we have no cattle. If everything is gone, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. Do you see, all of this is thinking. If the Lord, if, if, if I had no food, if I had no money, if I had no way of surviving, what would I do? What would I do? What would you do? What would we do? Is God enough? Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. Here's another one. Joseph, you've probably heard about the story of Joseph. Joseph was one of the younger brothers. I was a younger brother. Joseph was kind of bratty. I was probably kind of bratty in the day. And uh, older brothers kind of get tired of him. So what do they do? You know, they do what any normal family does. You know, they sell the younger brother as a slave. <laughs> hey, you want to talk about a dysfunctional family? There it is. He sells them as a slave to Egypt. He goes to Egypt. Uh, listen, do not tell me Joseph is like, oh, the Lord is good. <laughs> yeah, the Lord is good. And then he gets there, and then as some time goes along, he's like seeing some success, and it's like, okay. And then Potiphar's wife is hot after him, and he's like, nope, can't do that. And he does what's right, and he gets thrown into jail. And I'm sure he was in jail that day going, this is really good. The Lord is awesome. Listen, you cannot tell me Joseph is not wrestling in his head like, what in the living world is going on, God? Are you even there? Do you even know what's happening? And then the story goes on and on and on. And sometimes I've heard it preached in such a kind of a way. It's like, well, he becomes prime minister of Egypt. So it makes it all good. Listen, that makes all of the pain of the years of the past disappear. And it is wonderful to be able to see that God did something. But there are people who go through the pain like that and end up dead as martyrs. And Joseph, then his brothers come back. And he says to them, as for you, you meant evil against me. Truth, truth. It's not saying that, you know, God, uh, uh, evil happened. And yet the fact of the matter is God allowed it because we live in a broken world. And God is so big, he can even use wickedness and evil to be able to end up turning around for his glory and our good. And Joseph, after saying, you guys meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good, he wasn't saying, oh, it was so fun. I got to experience new experiences. He's like, no, now as I look back through the, all the pain, and I'll just say it, through all the pain and hell of it, God is doing something from it. Maturing him. Quickly, uh, Job chapter 1. Job, uh, one of the godliest men on the face of the earth, we're told. 
And then we learn that Satan goes before God. Wow, what an inter interaction that was. And, and, and they're having this conversation. And God says, hey, Satan, have you seen the faithfulness of my man Job down on the earth? He's like, yeah. I think somewhere in the text it's like, yeah, and it really irritates me. Um, and God and Satan's like, but, but just because you, you made him super wealthy and all this stuff. God's like, okay, well, I'll allow you to have Adam for a while. And Satan comes and takes out all his kids, takes his empire, and even ends up going physically after him. And yet, at the end of chapter one, we find Job saying that the Lord gave, the Lord can take away. But he was not a machine because he tears his robe and shaves his head. The dude was in absolute pain. And yet we see on the page the battle going on in the mind, the pain, the agony, and yet, and yet I have to bring my mind back to the Lord is up to something. Then you continue on through Job and stuff happens. And then when his friends start talking, that's when it got bad. And then, and then you get to chapter 38 to 42 and God sits Job down because Job's at, Job, Job's at a place to where he's like, I just kind of want to curse God and die. And God's like, time to sit you down. He sits him down and tells him, Job, time to gird up your loins. I love that statement. Job, gird up your loins. I got to talk to you. And God never tells him why it was happening. Never tells him. All that God tells him is, Job, you forgot who I am. Job, you forgot who I am. Job, I am this, and I am this, and I am this, and I am this. And then he gets through chapter uh, 39, and, and Job is like, I repent. You're right. I forgot who you are in all this. And, and God's like, but I'm not done. Sit back down. Gird your loins like a man. And two more chapters, God says, I am this, I am this, I am this. Never does God tell Job why all of it happened. All Job needed to know is who God is. And that happens here. Oh, and then lastly, I finish with this. Just read the Psalms. What do you see? You see real hurt, real life lived out in the Psalms. Times asking, God, where are you? God, who are you? God, why do you even know? And the Psalms are David and the other psalmist minds worked out on the page. Friends, I've taken two Sundays to bring this back because we are such mechanical people that when we want to talk about living new in Christ, it's like, just give me the three steps. And I'm here to say no. We're going to where the war is fought. And we're going to start, start watching how we think. What's going on in your life right now? How are you thinking, thinking about it? How are you wrestling it through? Being transparent with you in light of what I talked with you about today, what the Lord, I believe, has done in our life. It's been a battle. But if you don't know where the battle is fought, there is no hope for victory. The battle's right here. So we're going to continue it on. And so Lord, I pray, would you help us? Would you encourage us? We are frail. We are weak. We are distracted sheep. We run to the corner and hide our head. We are easy to get fearful. It is who we are. And you know that. 
And yet you love us dearly and intimately. You went to the cross for us, making your work, your redemption work available to all who would receive. And God, for those who are in Christ, we have been made new, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And God, you have called us to new and you have equipped us for new. And we need to take all of that reality and work it out in our minds. Oh God, help us. Spirit of God, do a work. Word of God, do a work. People of God, may we help each other. It is a thinking battle. The spiritual life, all of life, takes place in our mind. Help us, God, to see it more clearly. Reveal what's going on in our hearts. You are good. (laughs) And you will never leave us or forsake us. To you be the glory. In Christ's name. Amen.